0: Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer
1: break down the legacy of the territories and delve into Georgia Championship Wrestling. Welcome to Busted Open Legacy of the Territories. I'm your host, Dave LaGreca, and I'm with the landlord of the House of Hardcore, the heart and soul of professional wrestling, Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy, today, we're diving into maybe one of the most recognizable territories in the history of pro wrestling, Georgia championship wrestling.
0: So excited when you told me we we're going to bring back this, uh, tales of the territory, if you will, yeah. uh, my Saturdays as a child changed the moment I saw this, my world was little league and hanging out with my friends and going outside. And then once this happened, thank God for the VCR, but I could not, get up on Saturday my cartoons were gone and it was all because of Georgia Championship wrestling it really really um changed my life i know it changed yours and with the advent of cable television i know we all have millions of things to watch so many different options this was like one of the first and we're talking about Georgia Championship wrestling you live in New Jersey i live in New York and we were able to see this amazing wrestling territory each and every week and hello hook line and sinker. We both bought in.
1: Yeah. And it's Georgia championship wrestling. But to your point, Tommy, uh, this show was seen all over the country and beyond because of the superstation WTBS. When cable TV really emerged, it was probably, as I said, the most recognizable territory there was Paul Jones was the first uh, owner of, not that Paul Jones, but Paul Jones was the first owner of Georgia. Not the
0: wrestler manager, another
1: one. Yes, Uh, and he owned it from 1944 to 1974, which really all those decades set the foundation of that Georgia-based territory, part of the NWA, the National (laughs) Wrestling Alliance. But it was really under the next owner, Jim Barnett, who owned it from '74 to 1983 that was really the golden era of georgia championship wrestling because of the platform it had with the emergence of cable tv in the late 70s early 80s and it was very very important tommy because under jim barnett that was the territory to go to and tommy not only because in the territory era you know it was about traveling the territory and that was a very condensed era In Georgia, but also because of the platform of WTBS, the superstation, which was seen all across the country.
0: And think about uh, geography where you did not cross borders, mid-Atlantic, North and South Carolina, a hotbed for professional wrestling, Florida championship wrestling, a hotbed of professional wrestling, Alabama into New Orleans, all these border states. But Georgia was an entity on its own. Older wrestlers would always say we had to get on that TBS station to get that national notoriety. Before that, it was, I got to get to Madison Square Garden uh, to get that. And then it became, I got to get to Georgia Championship Wrestling to get that. And then it became, I got to get to this WWF to get that national exposure it 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 was a game changer and and the men that came in it you know the, the beauty of the territory system you could see your angles working because you did the loop and you went about all throughout the state of georgia if your houses were down you know those angles weren't working but if your houses were on fire and it was a lot because of one person uh wildfire once that Connected with that audience, and you hear it all the time. We were sold out, sold yeah. out here, sold out there, building pack to the rafters. I mean, because that's how the men fed their families, and they got that percentage from the gate. So different time.
1: Well, you said two things that I definitely want to repeat, and that is you said wildfire and Tommy Rich. When I look at Georgia Championship Wrestling, Tommy Wildfire Rich was probably one of the hottest superstars in the history of pro wrestling. A lot of people recognize the name but maybe don't know him as much as they should because he's not somebody that ever wrestled on a national level like with the WWF. And history, you know, it belongs to the victors, which at the end of the day became the WWF and the WWE. And Vince McMahon went national with the WWF in 1984. But really, Georgia Championship Wrestling, to me, was the first national territory. And when you look at somebody like Tommy Wildfire Rich, he wasn't just known in Georgia. He was known all across the country. And I think can't think of anybody that was bigger in the early 80s than Tommy Wildfire Rich, Tommy. No.
0: Historians will all tell you. I mean, he was good looking. He had fire as a baby face and knew how to sell and got sympathy and bled buckets with that – bleach blonde hair. And and they will all say there was no baby face hotter than Tommy Rich. And I mean, he's been compared to rock stars uh, during that era because he was just so popular. And he was put in all those situations to come also oh so close to win the title um, and, and do be the local boy who did good. And Dave, I remember, man, I, I remember the wrestling magazines. This was national television. Uh, for me, this was our national news. And when he left, and then there was that cover of the fans can go to hell. I was shocked because it did not happen in my world of Georgia Championship Wrestling. But the angles they produced, we can go on and on about them. But Tommy Rich, Dusty Rhodes were the hottest baby faces at the time. But Tommy was the hottest guy within the industry. You talk about your Roman Reignses. You talk about. Um, I don't know your MJFs, your John Moxleys. This was the guy, but across the board, Tommy Rich was the number one dude.
1: And I think it's important also <laughs> that you mention about the perimeters and the and the borders when it comes to the territory system, especially in the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. Tommy, even though Georgia Championship Wrestling, starting as early as 1976, was seen on the superstation nationally, they still st- st- you know kept in their perimeters of what Georgia championship was and that territory, you know, under the guidance of Jim Barnett. And they didn't cross that border out of respect for the other territories and the other promoters. They could have done it earlier, even before Vince McMahon, but they did have that code of honor where they didn't go over that perimeter, that borderline to disrespect the territory system.
0: Uh, you didn't do it because then there was a war, but then there was also, like you said, there was a respect factor, yeah. and that was so key for the expansion or demise of the ultimate company.
1: Yeah, and uh, we'll get into some of those demises of the company. You can go to July 14th, 1984 as the start no of that crack in the foundation, and you look at the owners, and you look at, like as I said, a Paul Jones or a Jim Barnett, then the Briscoes and Ole Anderson as we got to the mid-'80s. And it is the Briscoes that are very significant in the history of Georgia Championship Wrestling. And we're very lucky to have as a guest, Tommy, on our special Legacy of the Territories, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Jerry Briscoe, who was one of the owners of Georgia Championship Wrestling, but also somebody, when you look at July 14th, 1984, Black <laughs> Saturday, when the WWF took over that time slot of 6.05. And Tommy, let's not forget the Are you going to be able to control
0: yourself, David? Uh,
1: hold on. The significance of that 6.05 time slot. <laughs> That was definitely something that changed under the guidance of the Briscoe and Jerry Briscoe. And we're going to talk to Jerry Briscoe, the owner of Georgia Championship Wrestling in 1983 and 1984, when Tommy and I are back right here. It's Legacy of the Territories, Georgia Championship Wrestling.
0: Please be a professional, David. Please. (laughs) This is Busted Opens presentation of the Legacy of the Territories, Georgia Championship Wrestling, with your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer.
1: Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart protein plus and keto factors fresh never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes so no matter how busy you are you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious great tasting meals with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week you'll always have new flavors to explore crush your wellness goals this may with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp and blackened salmon Head to Factormeals.com slash Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com slash Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Back here with talking Georgia Championship Wrestling and who better to talk about that with than Hall of Famer one of the true legends in this profession, the one and only Jerry Briscoe. Sir, how are you?
2: Oh, man, I'm doing great. I sure appreciate it. You know, Georgia. Georgia on my mind, you know, how sweet it is, you know. So a lot of stories coming out of Georgia. I and
0: can't wait you- uh, to talk to you about this. Something, I've known you a long time, Mr. Briscoe. I've never got to talk to you about any of this information. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan, big historian. First of all, how did you and your brother get? Georgia Championship Wrestling.
2: How did we become involved in Georgia Championship Wrestling? Well, uh, uh, my brother, of course, he, he was involved first, and how he got involved is, is a real, real interesting time in Georgia, a time that actually gets overlooked a lot. Uh, there was a split. There was a raw internal war going on. Uh, Ray Gunkel, the the star, had passed away, and his wife and Gunkel. Uh, uh, took over all responsibilities. Well, uh, uh, Ray was a uh, a partner with the old uh, late Paul Jones, the guy that really came uh, an important part of my and Jack's career down the line. Paul 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 was the majority stockholder in, in, in uh, Georgia territory. So so they they were uh, uh, and Gunkel and her crew, the the Booker and several of the top talent just got up and split from her and uh from uh from paul and uh, started their own own uh wrestling show on the same channel just another hour uh difference in time or something like that and so you know there was a big uh big uh big uh meeting with eddie graham uh, jim barnett over in australia uh, buddy fuller and the welches uh, everybody involved and they they realized they needed some young talent to come in. Jack had just come to Florida and was really getting over as as a uh, major superstar for Eddie Graham down here in in uh, in the Sunshine State. So uh, they brought Jack up. And they wanted Jack to work up there. But at that time, I mean, the pay was was awful. There was no money to be made uh, because of the war going on. So. Uh, they brought guys like Jack and guys that could take care of themselves. Jack, uh, uh, Timmy Woods, who was Mr. Rastling. Mr. Rastling wanted to. They brought guys in like that that could, could take care of themselves and and young young uh, young athletes. And so they offered these guys a, a stake and and a territory to come up there and uh, and put down roots because they're le- le- uh, leaving behind a real probable. Uh, payday you know wherever their territory was carolina and florida they were leaving those paydays there so they had to compensate the uh the the pay somehow so that they gave them made them partners in in the company so this went on for a little, a little while and you know as, as history goes to show you know uh the good guys won the war and and you know uh gunko folded and so uh then Jack, Jack, uh, Jack was able to kind of split his time up, and I was just starting in North Carolina. I just come in from Australia when all this was was going on. I was, really wasn't really aware except for what I was getting from Jack. Hey, Jack, why are you up there in in Georgia? You know, well, well I got partnership. Wow, that sounds cool. <laughs> you know, uh, how do we get involved in that? So we now, you know, and so uh, so I just come come from Australia into Carolinas. So uh they needed needed somebody with a lot of connections and everything so they they contacted Jim Barnett. Jim Barnett came in and Jim Barnett took over uh as a commander of of, of the of Georgia Championship wrestling and of course made the contact with with uh Turner and all that stuff and eventually you know started out on on WTG or whatever it was a little local use station there and, and, uh, and a line of channel 17, then they became the first super station in, in the entire United States. And at that time, you know, everybody started to look, wow, you know, Georgia's is Georgia's, Georgia's the place there. And then of course it, it became, when cable came on they hooked up with cable. So that's kind of the story. And then Tim Woods, uh, he, like I said before he was offered part of the territory too. He ran in some, some, tax issues as a lot of guys did back in those days with with Uncle Sam and so he was looking for somebody to uh to purchase his shares and I like I said I just spent a year over in Australia and I had zero expense over there brother I mean I you know I was making really good money for a rookie. And plus, you know, my hotel was paid for. My uh, basically, my meals were paid for, and our and our travel was paid for because we flew all over the country. So I was able to sock away every just about every penny that I made over in Australia. So when I came to Carolina, I had me I had me some pretty good uh, uh, reserves and a the bank there. So. I told told, uh, Timmy that, you know, first he went to Jack because Jack was already a partner. Then Jack remembered what I, you know, the conversation I had with him. So they called me and asked me if I'd I'd agreed to a price there. And I said, sure. So, you know, I'd already talked to Jack about what price should be. And so that's how I got in. And I started in as a a minority partner. Then I bought out Buddy Coat and all that stuff. And. Jack bought out some other guys and we ended up, you know, having a pretty substantial share in towards the championship press. And so that's basically how we got in the the final side of it.
0: To be so young in the business, to have that foresight (laughs) in the business that, I mean, I mean, you know, this, a lot of guys don't, you know, they're they're especially territory guys or when WCW is around, Oh, I get another run. But for you to think that way was pure genius. And your uh, podcast partner, JBL says you still have that same penny that you saved from day one.
2: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I tried to, but you know, here, 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 funny story, when I first started in the business, I was a lot like everybody else. My brother was in the business. I was still in college. I, I was wrestling during the year. And so I was doing summer tournaments. So it, it was really hard to have a steady job. So, uh, I, Leroy McGurk was an Oklahoma State cowboy too, whereas I was, my brother was. So I, I went over course when Jack would wrestle in Tulsa, made a buddy, lots of buddies would always run over to Tulsa to see Jack Russell or Oklahoma City. Leroy would be there. I started BS with Leroy, you know, like, Leroy needed a job, you know, just kind of BSing with him. And one day I get a phone call from Leo Voss, who was uh, Leroy's booker. He said, kid, you, when do you get out of school? Said, well, I got another school to go uh, academic wise, and he said, no, for summer school. He said, I need a ring truck driver. Are you interested? I, wow, you bet I am. So this is summertime, of course, in Oklahoma, and if you ever guys have ever been in Oklahoma in summertime, That's 115 degrees. So I'd drive that damn ring truck, and I didn't know I'd I'd take an old college buddy with me uh, uh, and give him fifteen dollars or so. So I'm I'm down in somewhere in eight Oklahoma, down in Southern Oklahoma. Man, we're out in the middle of the Fairground. That sun's beating down like crazy. I gotta set up the ring, I gotta set up the chairs, I gotta set up the concession stand. I gotta set up the ticket booth. You know, everything that goes with a show, you gotta do as a ring truck driver. You know, those guys don't get enough credit. They work their butts off. And then if you're lucky you get the referee a few matches. So and wow. said I sold the tickets and uh and I was out there selling tickets and then then they then they started trusting me so much. They said, well, divide the money up, do the settlement. So that's when I really learned, Tommy. I was doing that settlement. Okay, you get seventy five percent over here, twenty five percent over here. Well, what's that twenty five percent go to? Go to the rasters. All those rasters gotta divide up that money when that promoter's getting seventy five percent of the money. Ding, 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 ding. You know, I'm an old. Dumb uh, Indian boy from Oklahoma, but I I could see that stack of money <laughs> made a hell of a difference. So that's what I started making up my mind. You know, you can make some money in this business. You know, with, without being a wrestler. And it was funny while I was in, uh, I was in Australia working for Jim. You know, I was I was around Mark Lewin, King Curtis, uh, Killer Killer Austin, Killer Carl, uh, Kowalski. All those Rip Hawk and Sweet all those geniuses of of the business—Madison Square, Spero Torreón, Dominic Danucci—and they were always telling me stuff, and I was absorbing it like a sponge. I was right out of college, yet. And Barnett used—I used to have conversation with Barnett. He said, "Your future is not in the ring." He said, "Your future is going to be in an office somewhere." I, wow. you know, I—that still I still remember that to this day, Jim Barnett telling me that, and. How true was that, brother?
0: <laughs> a lot of the boys said Georgia was probably their favorite territory due to the travel, because right. you could be so centrally located, go to a show, and be home and sleep in your own bed every night. Pretty every much. night,
2: yeah. It, it was it was a, it was a great territory, and and you know uh, what Barnett took it over, Barnett paid good. I mean, it, you know, and uh, so and plus we had that TV. And so everybody everybody was wanting to come through Georgia just to get on that T V, but Monday nights you'd be in like Macon, Georgia, ninety miles, you know, boom, you're there, there you're back by one o'clock in the morning. Tuesday you're in a and down at South in Columbus or Columbia, Georgia or something like that. Then Wednesday, you know, you're you're close by and then Thursday uh, uh, August or something like But the territory, the longest trip ever once in a while, like once a month, and everybody bitch like crazy, you have to go to Savannah. Now, Savannah is 175 miles, you know, but you're bitching because you're used to those 90-mile trips and everything. But, yeah, it was was a sweet territory. And, like I said, uh, Jim paid really good.
1: You know, Tommy said it was the wrestler's favorite territory because of how close it was and that you could get home that night after a show. But I would also think because of the exposure. I mean, being on Superstation and being everywhere nationally because of cable TV, was there any thought at that time of of taking the promotion nationally because it was available everywhere at the time? Wow, yeah, you know there was from certain people
2: and other people. I mean, you. One thing I, I really, really admire and respect was the the loyalty and the friendship and uh, of the NWA members. Those guys or you had a bunch of bunch of bunch of people that would steal money from you, but you, you when it came to that business, they were tight. They would not tread on each other. They they just that was their sworn, sworn oath when they joined the NWA. We expanded and I actually quit wrestling to kinda learn the business. I was getting ready to have my have my son Wes, our first child, and I, I just didn't want to be out there banging on the road every night and uh, and being worn out. So uh, I quit. I talked to Jim Barnett because we, we expanded into West Virginia, Ohio, and Michigan, and and a little bit right on the border of Pennsylvania and and the Vince Vince's territory. And that was almost like we really had to think twice. And the only reason we were able to expand in those uh, those states I uh, said. It was run. Uh, it was formerly run by by the sheik, and sheik had gone out of business, and sheik had burned these the building people and the, and the promotional people, the radio stations and the television stations. He had burned them so much, owed them thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. I went to, the, I think it was Cleveland, trying to beg my, oh, uh, yeah, Cleveland trying to beg my way into there in the building, and he owed the building forty thousand dollars. And right. so they were they were wanting us to to uh, to pay that off to get in there. And and we just kept I just kept I was really persistent. And it wasn't like that there, it was like at Detroit, it was like at every every venue that I went to. I go to a radio station, try to barter something, man. They didn't trust me at all because I was a raster, you know. <laughs> and uh, so it was difficult. T V station try to get on a little satellite T V station. Well, she owed me twenty five grand, you know pay that well that's y'all you know, you know we can't pay that and so what what so we we got into there so i quit 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 working in the ring and took over the responsibilities of, of being the promoter in those states learning the business from the inside through the help of jim barnett and i ran all those shows but uh it, it was very difficult and uh, like i said the only reason we were able to go work those shows is because You know, it was, it was, it was dead territory. But what, what my point is every, every, every week or so we get this guide. It was cable TV was at its empathy at that time. So it wasn't everywhere, but brother during that year and, and Turner swears it was because of the rest during that year, we start, I started seeing that manual go from like this to like this. I'd thumb through that manual. It's all the subscribers and every, and like, where, every little burg that you live in. You live in a suburb, I go to that suburb and I can tell how many, how many cable subscribers were. So I'm conning and conniving. I'm I'm looking at all those numbers. I'm trying to pick, figure out the best route to to go and, and to do everything. So I, I approached Barnett, Jim, you know, I talked to Jack about it. Jack, we're losing, I mean, they're, you know, Look what we're doing, and and those states we're selling out every every two weeks. We're only going up every two weeks, but we're we're selling out the week before we go. We're selling out basically at the event that we're in for the next event. We're business was on fire. Tommy Rich was probably the hottest damn baby face in the United States, and that includes Dusty Rhodes and whoever else they had up in the Northeast. There, Tommy was on that WTBS. He he was like he was like Elvis Presley walking through there. He, I can only relate his overness to when Hogan first got over. And I saw that same same electricity in the air when, when those guys would be in the public. So we were selling out. So I, I got all these facts and figures of where we can go. But we can't go there because of the loyalty. I go to Jim. I said, Jim, look at all this stuff. And, I, and yeah, I, I know, but we can't go there. We got our agreement. I, I, I'm not going to go again against my brothers like I say I respect that so much of so we're wanting to do it Ole, only was wanting to do it but he knew he wouldn't be able to do it and he wasn't going to get any heat like I was willing to do with Barnett and try to try to push push the fact well old Paul Jones that I mentioned in the very beginning that gave Jack his first opportunity to ownership he was an old amateur wrestler from Purdue University He said place where so we had that bond, and Jack and him had that bond, and uh, they 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 really liked us and respected us and everything. So they they become partners with us, you know. And so we go with Paul. Paul, you know, together we we got enough. We get one more guy, you know, we'll have the we'll have the majority. And and Paul, Paul, and unfortunately, Paul had cancer and he passed away. So, but his wife was left as as the executor of 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 the territory there so so uh so anyway yeah the territory got off the got off the route there but the the territory was was on fire and the guys guys were coming in and out and and uh, we're getting more calls to get other people's uh talent over than we were to get our our talent so we had to focus on that but to answer your question yeah there were thoughts but not enough people were thinking the same way that we were and we saw what Vince was getting ready to do. I mean, that was easy to see. I mean, you know, no matter how effective you were in the business, you could see what Vince was getting ready to do. And we had a bigger tool to do it with.
0: How uh, important was Gordon Soley to the product?
2: Ooh. Gordon Gordon was was the magic to the to the product. Gordon one Gordon was a chef. I mean, you know, we had we had all the ingredients, but we need somebody to stir those ingredients around. And Gordon solely was the master chef at doing that, as everybody knows. He's nobody better than than Gordon was getting the talent over. And you know that that's another thing guys would come from uh, another territory just to have Gordon solely call their match, and you know just be happy with that. You know, <laughs> and so. He he, he 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 was and uh, Gordon was one of the first people after we uh, consummated our deal with Vince and Lindham uh on the cell the first person he asked us uh, to reach out to which we, we we got him George Scott I know I get a lot of heat for that but we got him George Scott we reached out to Gordon and Gordon was another one of those loyal NWA guys he said thank but no thanks tell him I'm honored that he would thank of me but I I can't do it. I'm I'm happy right here. So, and I respect that for Gordon. Never put any pressure on Gordon. Never lost my friendship with Gordon.
0: When uh, you guys sold that, like you said to Vince, I mean, that was a massive risk for you uh, career-wise. If it didn't pay off, you probably would have been blackballed from the business.
2: Yeah, it certainly was. And people warned us it wasn't going to pay off. People warned us, if Vince loses a disaster, well, how are you guys going to collect? I mean, I had some of my dear, dear friends that are business people that, that were very wise tell me, you know, that that's a big stand. And where are you going to get booked? I mean, but you know what, Tommy? I Like I said, I'd, I'd started my family. Our body shop was, was busting through the damn roof, <laughs> making money. So... You know, I had something to fall back on. It was a risk and it was a risk, but I had, I had that body shop. My brother and I were, were wise. We invested in real estate down here and Tampa was booming. So real estate was booming. So, you know what? I didn't really didn't care. I could stay at home and just go to the body shop and make a deal real estate at one point and, and be happy. So nice. I'm not an expensive guy to take care of.
1: <laughs> you know, Tommy and I talk about this a lot here on the show. Uh, and not that I remember the date much, but you know, July Fourteenth, nineteen eighty-four, Black Saturday. You know, Mr. Briscoe. Mill- <laughs> this is
0: the most important date of this man's life. He's been married three times. He knows this date more than all his uh, <laughs> wedding <laughs> anniversaries. Yeah. This is the most important date.
1: Yeah, and you have he, no he, clue he,
0: the fights we have about this.
2: Yeah, he's speaking of Green Saturday. Is all I know.
1: you know what touche sir um david yeah but that's that answers the question but as a kid you know seeing freddie miller introducing vince mcmahon yeah yeah uh you know it was a shock to me and and this was my mindset as 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 a kid i thought the wwf moved to georgia like i was like oh they just moved out of you know, you know, cause I grew up in New Jersey. I was like, wow, they just moved to, you know, because, but I mean, did you understand at the time, like how significant that moment was going to be that here we are in 2022 and we're still talking about that date?
2: Yeah. Because it was, it was changing. It was changing the momentum of the business and, you know, and, and, you know, uh, I hate to keep going back on what I what I saw because you know a lot of people saw it, but you know we were seeing talent. We were losing talent, and uh, mm-hmm. and so I saw Sarge go. I saw the other guy Valentine go. I saw, but Roddy Piper was was the guy that Jack and I had made the most money with at that time, and that's in, in Mid Atlantic and in, in Atlanta, and, and and Roddy was a fixture on Atlanta TV. When Vince got him, that was really the tipping point to Jack and I to to go ahead and sell. And when we sold, you know, uh, we we didn't just reach out to Vince first. We we because something happened, and and when I mentioned, only got got a chance to buy a part of the territory. In our bylaws, when you make a sell of your stock, yes, you got to offer it to a stock holder a shareholder before you can sell it on the outside so we we didn't experience that with only becoming a partner because jack and i would have bought that stock instead of letting Oli come into the to, the to the to the mix so uh so uh when when uh when we heard when we knew that when we we decided we wanted to sell and it, it's a really funny story sure, if you got time how how we how, how we got a hold of that and everything like I said, Piper was a tipping point and we knew that, you know, we got to make a move. So, so we're doing TV interviews in Charlotte, North Carolina at Jim Crockett Promotions. The, old, the, old, the old office they had, had a studio in there where you could do your promos in there. We were all in there the night before where we're all at, like I said, we're all gathered doing promos, not before somebody said they had heard where Piper grabbed a, a table and went to hit somebody overhead, but the the table... The inside of the table, and Tommy knows it's better than anybody probably, the inside of the table wasn't shaved and it had all those razor like prongs on it. And it, sh- and it cut some of Roddy's tendons in his fingers when he went to this, And a lot of, uh, we didn't know people were saying, well, he might lose his fingers and everything. So, you know, we like I said, we're really tight with Roddy. So we're all g- uh, set to get around. Jimmy Crocker came out and Jack said, Hey, have you heard anything about Piper? And, and Jimmy said, No, I don't. I don't know who to call him. Jack said, call Vince. He said, I ain't calling that son of a Jimmy Crockett. And Jack said, I'll call him. And he said, you got his number? And he said, yeah. So back in those days, you call Vince. Howard Finkel picks up the phone. know, yeah. He was he was the reception at the office. So he called, and Howard Finkel picked it up. And hey, Howard, this is Jack Briscoe. And Howard said, Jack, I recognize your voice. He said, hang on a second. And he, uh, he Jack really said "He heard, heard a holler. Uh, uh, uh howard Hollerback, at jack briscoe's on the phone put him on so jack instantly was on with Vince and uh and uh, hey is piper okay we're all here and, and charlotte uh, at jimmy's office we will know piper's okay he's a good friend and dred said yeah he's gonna be okay he's not gonna lose the end of his fingers and all, all the rumors going around he's gonna be okay we got him a good surgeon he got his fingers all sewed up he's gonna be fine all right we'll just tell him we said hello and uh, then vance took over the conversation was no speakerphone or anything like that. But he said, Jack, can you talk? And Jack, no. And he said, "He said, would you guys like to talk to me? And Jack said, yes. And he said, okay, well, when you're in a good place, uh, give me a call. So we finished up our promos. And so the connection was made right there in front of Jimmy Crockett, Jimmy Crockett's office. <laughs>
1: amazing. That is amazing. Wow. I love it. That is phenomenal. Sir, thank you so much for shedding light on, as Tommy said, one of the greatest territories oh. of all time. You are, I, I i understand why your podcast is such a hit. You're a wonderful you. uh, storyteller. And thank you so much uh, for the time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. We'll be back with more Georgia Championship Wrestling. It's Legacy of the Territories. When we're back right here on Busted Open.
0: This is Busted Open's presentation of the Legacy of the Territories Georgia Championship Wrestling with your hosts Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer.
1: Back here on Legacy of the Territories, Georgia Championship Wrestling, and wow, Tommy! I, I all I could say is wow, mind blown,
0: dude. Uh, I I literally like I wish I lived next door to you because I just want to hug you. Um, oh. uh, I'm my mind is blown as well, and you have held on to this for so long, and you finally got the answer. Yes. and uh, i can't believe in the, all the documentaries all the stuff it's finally been like uncovered about black saturday uh, uh dude are it's, you okay
1: i'm okay but it's more than just that cuz you said finding the answers yeah it's not like it's not like i had a question all this time and then suddenly i got the answer to the question that's one thing it's having a perception of something for almost 40 years. And now that perception (laughs) completely changing. It's almost like, you know, and I think everybody that's listening has gone through this where maybe, um, you know, a relationship with a loved one has gone awry because you thought that that person wronged you in some way. And then you find out 38 years later that that person didn't do what you thought they did. It's like somebody being imprisoned for a crime they didn't commit and then getting released 38 years ago. I mean, to me, Tommy, hearing Jerry Briscoe and giving the explanation about Black Saturday, July 14th, 1984, a date that will live in infamy, um, it's just hearing him say, and let's break it down, Tommy. So, my perception was, Jack and Jerry Briscoe somehow got in contact with Vince McMahon, whether they called Vince McMahon or Vince McMahon called them, said, hey, we want to buy Georgia Championship Wrestling. They sold out to Vince McMahon, sold out Georgia Championship Wrestling in that 6.05 time slot. And that was my perception for all this. By the way, Tommy, it failed for the WWF. Uh, It wasn't something that it failed, I shouldn't say it it failed, it failed as far as viewership, and it failed as far as being on WTBS at 6.05, because fans rejected it, like me. But ultimately, the money that he made, and we'll get into that as well, funded the first-ever WrestleMania. But eye-opening in this way, Tommy, and I'll just break this down first. Jerry Briscoe explained in the interview, part of the NWA guideline was that if you were going to sell your stock or your shares, it had to be first offered to somebody who is already a shareholder with the NWA. Jerry Briscoe tried to do that. One of the people he tried to sell his shares to was Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett ultimately bought that 6.05 time slot in Georgia Championship Wrestling from Vince McMahon after he failed to fill 6.05 for over a million dollars, which, again, funded the first ever WrestleMania. So it's amazing to me that Jim Crockett had the opportunity to buy those shares before Vince McMahon did, but then ultimately bought the time slot from Vince McMahon, which completely changed the course and the history of pro wrestling. Uh,
0: the One of the most shocking things that Jerry had said was when he got all this data and showing about, like, hey, he wanted to go national with this. And think of, like, the angles and, like, the talent that they had. And, you know, he said, like, we only went into Detroit because Sheik's company went out of business. Uh, I remember Beulah McGillicuddy, she's her sister had a big crush on Tommy Rich. And uh, we talked about them going to see Georgia championship wrestling up in Michigan. And they had all this data. Hey, look how hot we are here. Look how hot we are here, but they wouldn't cross that barrier. And Jerry wanted to Ole was like, no, you can't do that. And it was like, they, he was, they were preventing their own growth of their own company. Yeah. this is mind-blowing like you said totally change a perception because I mean think about this another one what if another what if think if they did had the the foresight of a Vince McMahon which Jerry kind of did and was just like we're going national it could have destroyed the future or changed the business uh, uh, tenfold it, it's insane to think about it went, Again, when you said you got all this data, I remember back in the day of ECW, hey, man, we're doing really good in Florida on this thing called the Sunshine Network. Let's go there. And it became like a staple for us. And that's how we knew where we were hot and we took our product there. But when he said that, when he was just like, man, I wanted to do this. And then the fact that if you think about the territory system and think about it's very, very old school, like what you would picture out of the Godfather movie, all the heads of the table. They come together and everybody passed on it. And then except for Vince and that call to just to check on Roddy Piper, but Vince being Vince and business minded and just like, boom. And it happens. Like like you said, it has totally changed my perception because I was always like, Oh, Jack, uh, Jerry Briscoe had a job in WWE because he sold the territory to Vince. And like, that's the only reason why and it's so not true my own perception changed like oh he was a loyal vince mcmahon uh he just had that foresight and then p- besides the fact of all the stuff that he did in the business for since when he first started but also to have that mindset but man that whole and, and your face changed my face changed and producer paul's face changed when he said when you were like because i was like oh dave's gonna go off this is gonna get horrible and then he was just like when you were like black Saturday, and he goes. Uh, I call it more green Saturday. And it was just like the tone changed. And then when he delivered all those facts off the charts, mind blown.
1: And, and, and this is kind of like the boom of cable television. He said when he bought into Georgia championship wrestling, they used to get a booklet of all the affiliates and all the syndicated packages and who was watching and how many people had cable TV. And he said, it was like, It was like a brochure, but by 1984, just a a little over a year later, it was like a phone book. The amount of, you know, subscribers to cable TV and all the different markets. So many more people had cable, cable television. And that's when he knew, all right, this is the moment when we need to go national because I get it. Like, and he said, he loved the loyalty of all the NWA promoters but they didn't have the TV like Georgia did. And Georgia had that opportunity to kind of go national with their product. And Tommy, you want to know something? The WWF did it in that time. Vince McMahon went to all the different promotions, bought the time from those, from those cable affiliates and went national with his product. It was difficult for Vince to do that. If, Georgia Championship Wrestling decided to to go national, it wouldn't have been difficult at all because they already had one channel that was already national and syndicated all across the country. The stars that Georgia had were already known commodities, whether it was in New Jersey or California. They had the means, they had the channel to do it, and they had the market coverage. But because they were slow to the pitch, and because nobody else wanted to join in, and because of the loyalty, and of course, like, the other promoters didn't want it because the other promoters didn't have TV like Georgia did. But give Vince McMahon credit because of that phone call, like you just said, Tommy. A simple phone call with Jim Crockett in the room from the Briscoes to Vince McMahon just to see – how Roddy Piper was doing changed the entire landscape and course of the history of pro wrestling.
0: Dave, you and I are old enough to live through, like we're talking about, this thing called cable TV, but we were young when that happened. There's a lot of listeners. Think about when the internet first took off. Yeah. Where people were skeptical about this thing called the World Wide Web or the internet was going to be a thing. And this happened now think about like what was the first streaming service oh we got netflix now we have everything this was the first and netflix is still around but what i'm saying is georgia's championship wrestling could have been the first and they had all the pieces together and it was just (laughs) it was one man's vision uh and it didn't work out and and yes the course of history changed is just again so so different and there was so many You know, I I know for myself, Tommy Rich versus Buzz Sawyer was so influential and and all the angles with Dusty Rhodes, the Assassins, all these guys as the bookers, the Freebirds, the Freebirds split, Terry Gordy, Jimmy Snuka, Ted DiBiase, Brad Armstrong, you know, that Mr. R angle, you and I still talk about it. The list goes on and on for Hall of Famers, amazing wrestlers, amazing angles that took place in this small little studio. That literally changed the landscape of professional wrestling forever.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we're going to get into some of those angles, like you said, and our favorites in Georgia Championship Wrestling. But the story doesn't end there. Like a lot of people think Georgia died in July 14th, 1984, but that's not the case, Tommy, if you remember Ole Anderson, you know, Gordon, as Jerry said, Gordon solely would not leave. Vince McMahon wanted him for the WWF, Gordon Soly would not go. He stayed with the NWA, continued to commentate uh, for Florida Championship Wrestling, but he also did for Georgia because Ole Anderson then bought a time slot, five on Saturday mornings, and Georgia Championship Wrestling continued for at least a little while at 9.05 on Saturday. And believe it or not, Tommy, The WWF at 6.05 and then you had Georgia Championship Wrestling at 9.05 and you had Mid-South Wrestling at 5 o'clock for an hour. Both Mid-South Wrestling and Georgia Championship Wrestling early on a Saturday morning did much better ratings than the WWF did at 6.05. Actually, those two shows pretty much drove out Vince McMahon And the WWF from that 605 time slot.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to think. If you also think about the genius move, I can't like take the the slot. I can't sustain it. So what do I do? I buy the talent and I take the talent. And it's a genius lateral move when you first, and it was, it was the first WWE failure. And when you take it, and then regroup, it's almost like, hey, I lost the Super Bowl, but I'm going to come back and win it next year. And that's what kind of happened. But, man, Georgia Championship Wrestling is one of my favorite uh, territories. I don't. Most of that footage is lost. You can find very, very grainy stuff on YouTube. I do a deep dive often when I don't bring my laptop on the road with me. And uh, I just put it on TV, and I just watch it, and I love it. There were so many critical parts, Gordon Soli, Roddy Piper, uh, Dom Morocco. There's so much like that goes through my brain when I see this. But uh, it was an amazing, amazing territory and and just like a massive how, again, when we do these things, how history could have changed if so many different dominoes didn't
1: fall. Well, you look at that WWF golden era in the mid 80s, their roster, Roddy Piper, Greg the Hammer, Valentine, Paul Orndorff, Cowboy Bob Orton, like those wrestlers went right through Georgia Championship Wrestling just a year before making the move to go with the WWF in 84 and 85, Piper being one of the bigger names, and Jerry Briscoe talked about that. To me, when I think of Georgia Championship Wrestling, it's always what I feel is one of the greatest feuds of all time, and that's Tommy Wildfire Rich and Buzz Sawyer, uh, which finished off in 1983 at the last Battle of Atlanta at the Omni. Again, the Omni, you know, growing up, it wasn't wasn't matter to me it wasn't Madison square garden. It was the Omni in Atlanta, Tommy.
0: Yeah. Agreed. told you that's all I wanted for Christmas that year was to go see that match. And then you think about historic, like uh, the hell in a cell was really the first time was that match. The last battle of Atlanta. So much great things came out of it. I I can't recommend enough uh, just to go back and watch it. If you're, you know, a younger wrestling fan, but You talk about like the stars, Jimmy Snuka, um, Hulk Hogan had wrestled there. Everyone had tried to make it there just to get that national exposure. And then they went on to get national exposure because the WWE came along and rolled through the system.
1: It's, it's a wonderful territory. As you said, it's not talked about as much as the others. Why? Because you just can't find it. The WWF doesn't own the library. And whether it was because Ole Anderson wanted to make room for his boat in his garage and threw them all out, don't know the answer. But only available on YouTube. Again, grainy footage, but it's the best that we can do. It's the only thing we have. So, uh, Tommy, thanks, man, for all the insight and all the stories.
0: I'm glad you are able to let it go, David, after all these years. You finally have resolve.
1: That's right. And thanks to Jerry Briscoe. We'll talk to you later on Legacy of the Territory. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream the podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh,